How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken disease management system into a true healthcare system. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I believe that most diseases can be prevented or reversed, and I'm dedicated to empowering millions of people to go from disease and dysfunction into living their best life possible, and I'm passionate about training other practitioners to do the same. So today I want to talk about one of my favorite herbs. It's one that helps with sleep and stress and blood sugar balance and so much more. It's been shown to be cancer protective and to support the liver and the brain in fighting inflammation and oxidation. Plus, it's also been linked to antidepressant and anti-anxiety effects. So what is this superhero? It's magnolia. And specifically today, we're going to talk about the therapeutic effects of magnolia bark. So magnolia has a lot of history rooted in ancient Asian type medical practices. So in traditional Chinese medicine, it's known as hupu or hopu. It's been used a lot for its aromatic properties. It smells really good. It's also believed to help digestive pain. So ancient texts document the use of magnolia for addressing a lot of ailments. So let's talk about what some of those are and how it does it. Let's start by looking at the bioactive compounds. We know that a lot of herbs have bioactive compounds. And when we do tincturing, we're usually extracting out and helping to concentrate those bioactive compounds. So in this particular case, the active constituents that have been identified to date are honokiol and magnolol, and they are attributed to various therapeutic properties of this magnificent herb. Honokiol has been studied for its neuroprotective effects, and we know how important it is to protect the brain, right? We see the brain uh, degrading in neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, We see it degrading when we have a, a compromised blood brain barrier and toxins get into the brain. So it's super important to help people to protect their brain. It's also been helpful for cognitive function, for helping to improve cognitive function like attention and memory. Magnolol is known for its anti-inflammatory properties. It helps to inhibit inflammation and bring that down. And we know that inflammation is so important as a causative factor in so many of our current diseases. Also, there's polyphenols in magnolia, and those polyphenols help to protect cardiometabolic health. It's been known, it's shown that magnolia bark, and I've used it on a lot of people, is helpful for keeping the blood sugar steady and, of course, then protecting the heart. There's also essential oils in magnolia, and this contributes to the aromatic properties that magnolia brings to the table, um, and also some of the calming effects 
that Magnolia has. I've had folks take Magnolia at bedtime and finally get a good night's sleep. And we'll talk about in a little bit its ability to calm down the cortisol response. And that's partially why it's so effective as a sleep aid for so many people. Some of the anxiolytic, the anti-anxiety type properties of Magnolia have been studied. So the Hanukkah is very much involved in that. There's a bunch of studies that show that it has anti-anxiety properties. And affects the neurotransmitters in the brain, you know, specifically things like GABA, which when it's low contributes to anxiety and inability to fall asleep. We know that chronic stress and chronic cortisol elevation can be problematic for people. It can prevent them from being able to fall asleep. It can cause them to wake up in the middle of the night. It can cause them to feel anxious or jittery during the day. So one of the claims to fame with Magnolia is its ability to bring cortisol down into normal levels. So you want to be careful about when you would give somebody Magnolia. I'm a big fan of giving it at night for people who have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. Having them redose if they do wake up in the middle of the night, take it again to get them to go back to sleep. And if they have a big cortisol spike in the morning, I'll sometimes give it to them in the morning. Most of the time people don't. Most of the time I do it at night, but there have been few people who have those really high cortisol levels in the morning and I've had them do Magnolia. Just a word on the way I recommend Magnolia. So I had gotten a bag of Magnolia powdered extract from good, good company. And I thought, oh, this is a great way to do it. So I always test things out on myself first and it's not very tasty. It's very astringent. So it causes the mouth to pucker up. Well, I found this out before I tasted it myself. I recommended it to somebody and she always preferred to take powders to capsules or to tinctures. So I recommended it that way. And she goes, I can't take this. I'm so sorry. And then I tried it myself and I'm like, oh yes, problematic. What I find easiest for people to take is a tincture. You know, they take the tincture, they can leave the tincture on their bedside and take a few drops, a few dropperfuls, depending on how much they need it before bed. And then they can keep it on the bedside. So it's really easy dosing. And then they can take it if they wake up in the middle of the night. So that's a really nice way to do it. Some people do the tea. I don't recommend teas at night because it counteracts the effect because now they have to pee in the middle of the night, which isn't so good. So because magnolia bark has these relaxing effects, we talked about the effects on anxiety and calming. This is a good bedtime type thing. And some of the studies have shown that it helps with the sleep-wake cycle, right? And keeping people from coming to full awakeness in between their sleep cycles. It can also modulate melatonin levels. And we know how important melatonin is for deep sleep. The way that the Hanukkiol in the magnolia, that active constituent, affects the anxiety is that it actually can interact with the GABA receptors. And I don't know about you, but I've found a lot of people who are having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or have a lot of anxiety. They tend to have low levels of GABA. Some of these people have a genetic tendency to low levels of GABA because they have the GAD SNP, glutamic acid decarboxylase, and they're not able to actually convert the glutamic acid into GABA. Glutamic acid is very stimulatory. GABA is very calming. So the magnolia gets in there and can affect the GABA receptors and increase the level and the uptake of GABA 
so that we can have the more calming effect. Magnolia isn't like taking sedative medications. It's not like when people are taking Ambien or other kinds of medications to help them fall asleep. It's not sedative. It's just very calming. So it's a natural relaxant. And besides you know, affecting the GABA, affecting the cortisol and bringing those levels down into a normal range, it makes it a, just a very gentle effect on sleep. And I know I've done this many times with folks, but it doesn't work for everybody. So there's never anything that works for everybody. But I've had so many people that have had great results in calming them down, being able to sleep and being able to stay asleep through the night. Of course, with sleep, it's not just single factorial, right? It's multifactorial. We also have to work with people at their bedtime rituals, at not eating within three hours of sleep and, and doing things to support melatonin production, like turning out the lights at night, you know, wearing blue light blockers, uh, getting out in the sunlight in the morning. All those things play in, but magnolia can be a great companion to awesome sleep hygiene. So let's talk about the way that magnolia affects inflammation. It's been found that it may inhibit the activity of the COX-2. So it could be a COX-2 inhibitor. There are a lot of drugs that are focused on that, but this is a more natural approach without a lot of the side effects of some of the drugs like that. And that affects the inflammatory cycle lowers inflammation and can protect, it can be neuroprotective, liver protective, gut protective, cardioprotective. So because of the lowered inflammation levels can also be helpful for joint and muscle support, right? Because a lot of times when people have muscle aches or joint aches, it's because of inflammation. So magnolia can be a good adjunct to whatever else you might be doing with somebody to support their joint pains. Of course, with joint and muscle pain, we have to make sure that there's not an autoimmune condition happening. Of course, with muscle and joint pain, we have to find out the underlying cause, right? Magnolia isn't going to be the be-all and the end-all for this. We have to make sure that we're looking and ruling out an autoimmune condition like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, and that we're working on the inflammation, but everything else, the other stressors in the life like gut repair and heavy metals and all that. Magnolia is a really great antioxidant. We know that oxidative byproducts of foods, of chemicals, etc., of poor fats in the diet can be problematic for so many of our tissues. We know that cardiovascular health, inflammation and oxidation are huge contributing factors. So magnolia can be protective in not just sleep and cortisol levels and blood sugar, but also can be helpful for cardiac and cardioprotection and supporting and protecting our major organs and glands. Magnolia has an ability to neutralize free radicals, and we know free radical production is huge. It's a huge contributing factor in disease, so it's wonderful for being able to do that. Magnolia has been found to enhance cellular health by supporting and protecting the oxidative damage to things like proteins and DNA and even mitochondria, so super important that way. I want to take a few minutes to just talk about the ways that magnolia has been found to support cardiovascular health. Uh, some studies suggest that in addition to the antioxidant and, and anti-inflammatory properties, that magnolia can help to relax the blood vessels. And we know that it's stiffened blood vessels that can cause the blood pressure to go up and potentially cause a problem. If there's exertion and the blood vessels won't expand, contract, that we see 
people having heart attacks or the release of a blockage of a plaque. It can help with not just by calming a person down and lowering the cortisol, but the anti-inflammatory and the antioxidant effects of the magnolia can help keep blood pressure in a normal range. I've used magnolia in conjunction with things like hawthorn berry or nitric oxide promoters like arugula and beets to help people to get the blood sugar under control. Oh, and magnesium, of course, as well. So the antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects can also impact or influence positively brain health by calming things down and supporting against the development of neurodegenerative diseases. Plus the blood sugar balancing effect, one of the neurodegenerative diseases that's rampant in our society is Alzheimer's. And when we can do things to support blood sugar control, that we get a lot better bang for the buck when we're using an herb that has protective effects throughout the system. Um, I want to say that, of course, with blood sugar, we can't just keep allow people to keep eating what they're eating. We have to talk to them about other things related to blood sugar, but I've used it as an adjunct to other good blood sugar techniques. Let's talk a little bit about how magnolia has been used in gut health. It helps with the gut microbiome, right? We know that the gut microbiome is so important for cardio protection, for brain chemistry, and for so much more. Well, the magnolia can help with diversity in the digestive tract, with increasing the diversity of the microbiome. Of course, the gut gets out of balance when it's inflamed, right? Leaky gut is caused by inflammation of those tight junctions that allow the particles to go through. There's the LPS. There's so many things in the gut that can cause inflammation that can contribute to poor gut health, to discomfort, to inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's and colitis. And so the anti-inflammatory effects of magnolia can be helpful as an adjunct in those kinds of therapeutics. I'm not saying that we're going to use magnolia alone and heal people from Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, but what I'm saying is that it could be a good adjunct, especially if they have other symptoms that magnolia addresses. So if somebody's anxious, well, we know anxiety can contribute to poor gut health. So if they're in that state, well, you know, magnolia might be a good state. High cortisol levels can contribute to poor gut health in that it turns off the digestive enzymes and affects the mucous membrane. So we can think about magnolia as a good adjunct and some of the side effects of using it for maybe blood sugar control or using it for sleep is that it can help heal the gut and calm the digestive tract, right? We have IBS is a very common problem in our society. You know, that irritation, spasming of the um, intestinal tract, which can lead to constipation, diarrhea, or alternating. Well, magnolia can be helpful with calming it down because of its anxiolytic effects, its relaxing effects on the system. I've even seen studies that report that people with gas and bloating have a calming of their digestive tract and have reduction of those symptoms when using magnolia bark. Of course, this is all used in conjunction with good gut hygiene, chewing, calming down before eating, because here's the deal. Magnolia helps with bringing down cortisol levels, but if we're all stressed out right before eating, that's going to raise the cortisol levels. So again, this is just part of a therapeutic regime, a personalized approach to their nutrition. 
I love magnolia and I use it a lot in practice. I learned the hard way not to use the powder because most people won't tolerate it unless they're going to mix it in with something else. I will admit that I haven't really experimented too much with mixing it in with other things because the tincture really does make an easy approach. So uh, you can get it as tincture, you can get it as capsules. I'm not a big fan of capsules just because you have to take them with water and some people have compromised digestion and it's the breakdown of the capsule becomes an issue. So the form that I most recommend is tincture, but some people can't take tinctures, right? They're either have an alcoholic background or they just don't tolerate the alcohol very well. So in that case, capsules can be helpful or getting the powders and figuring out ways to help them to get it into their diet that way. I mean, since we want to take it at bedtime, oftentimes, I'm not a big fan of eating at bedtime. So having it with some sort of food at bedtime is not a good idea. Okay, so it might hide well in like almond butter or something like that. But again, we don't want to do that at bedtime. The timing, when you're going to offer this to people, like I said earlier, we don't want to do it in such a way that's going to interfere with their sleep. And we don't want to do it in help bring down cortisol at times when their cortisol is already low. I typically use it with people who have trouble sleeping through the night or getting to sleep. And I'll usually dose it at bedtime and then whenever they wake up through the night. But I have had people whose cortisol is so high in the morning, like they're so stressed out and so sympathetic, dominant that I've dosed it then. But I've seen people just dose it without doing the testing and it can be problematic and they can get very you know, lackadaisical and sleepy even if you dose it in the morning and it's not a good time to dose it. So it's really important to do consistency. If you want to have a good reaction with Magnolia, you don't just have them try it one night. Oh, that didn't work. We'll move on to something else. I really give it at least two weeks of consistent use to see if it's going to help. And oftentimes that's what does the trick. So people ask me, how do you dose Magnolia? I have the same answer as I have with lots of other kinds of uh, herbs and, and supplements. It's low and slow. Start low, start with a minimal dose, and then just gradually build it up. One of the reasons I don't like using capsules is that with capsules, you really can't shift the dose unless you open the capsules up. With magnolia, it's still going to have that very astringent type flavor. So I wouldn't waste the money, their money on capsules unless they're actually going to take them that way. So that might be a form that you'd move to once you figure out the dose, but I'm low and slow for stress and anxiety and mild calming effects. It's going to be a lower dose than if they need more of a sedative effect with sleep. So play with it and do it that way. When you're working with people for gut health, you just basically want to do the same thing like with stress and anxiety, but it may actually be a higher dose. So you have them take a little bit, then you have them take a little bit more and you work at it. And you, I like to use the minimum effective dose. I don't like to go higher than that, but also if you go lower than that, it's not going to be effective. So play with it, enter it into your own life. See if you can work with a few people with it and enjoy the benefits that you get from working with this magnificent herb. It's one of my favorites, like I said, and I look forward to hearing from you and how you're using this in your practices. Continue to 
do all the great things you're doing as a practitioner to help people get well. If you don't have the training that you need to really look at alternatives and to look at nutrition and to look at functional approaches to conditions, maybe you're trained as a conventional medical doctor or a nurse practitioner, then go and visit our website at inemethod.com and learn about how we can support you. Listen to the other podcasts in the series. Uh, We have so many great episodes to help you with using herbs and foods and nutrients to support people along their journey to optimal health. So I look forward to hearing more about it. You can always comment and subscribe and leave some comments and check out the show notes page for links to some other resources. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.